It's Wednesday, December 11th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. House Democrats have announced two articles of impeachment against President Trump, focusing only on his dealings with Ukraine. He is charged with abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. And now the timetable moves fast. The committee votes this week, then the entire House next week. Alex Gangitano, reporter at The Hill, joins us for how President Trump is on his way to be impeached in the House. Next, the Merriam-Webster word of the year is they. Lookups for they have increased 313% in 2019 over the previous year. While it is a very common word, more recently, they has been used to refer to one person whose gender identity is non-binary. Other words that made the list for the top of 2019 include quid pro quo, crawdad, and tergiversation. Emily Brewster, senior editor at Merriam-Webster, joins us for more on the words of the year. Finally, at the same time that the House Democrats are trying to impeach the president, they are also delivering him a political victory. Nancy Pelosi announced that there is an agreement on the USMCA, the trade pact to replace NAFTA. Ian Culgren, reporter at Politico, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Gravity of these charges and our sworn duty to uphold and defend the Constitution demand that all senators put country over party and examine the evidence uncovered by the House without prejudice, without partisanship. Joining us now is Alex Gangitano, reporter at The Hill. Thanks for joining us, Alex. Hey, thanks for having me. It is on now. House Democrats have announced two articles of impeachment against President Trump on Tuesday. They're charging him with abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. The conversation before this was how narrow or how broad were Democrats going to go with these articles of impeachment. They decided to go a little bit more narrow and just focus on the matters with Ukraine. Alex, tell us about these two articles of impeachment we have now. As you said, it was kind of up for debate if Speaker Pelosi, how narrow she would go. You heard from a lot of Democrats in the caucus kind of suggesting other articles of impeachment and other ways to kind of get Trump. Um, But she decided to use this narrow approach that she's saying rise to level of high crimes and misdemeanors, that he abused the power of his office and he obstructed Congress during the impeachment inquiry. And so, as you said, that's really focusing on the unfolding controversy around the pressure that the president was putting on the Ukraine government about these investigations. Of course, the Hunter Biden investigation, which would be the president looking into one of his political rivals, former Vice President Joe Biden. And then part of this theory that is considered debunked that Ukraine, not Russia, meddled in the U.S. election. Of course, President Trump today is now calling this whole thing a witch hunt and that these articles of impeachment are ridiculous, as expected here in Washington. So the charge of abuse of power had to do all with Ukraine and withholding the military aid and also putting a condition on a White House visit for the Ukrainian president. He had to announce those investigations. That was that part of it. The obstruction of Congress had to do with all of the subpoenas that the president basically told nobody to follow. So they couldn't get documents. They couldn't get witnesses. That's the obstruction of Congress. And then, as you mentioned, people were trying to float around a third article, possibly of obstruction of justice. But that had to do more with the Mueller report and obstructing that stuff. 
So they decided to leave that one off. How do Democrats feel about what they have here? Because from my understanding is that they wanted to leave that third article off just to protect some Democrats that might face tough reelection chances in the coming year. The news today is a good thing for moderate Democrats who Speaker Pelosi has to be looking out for, who can face tough challenges going into the next year, who kind of don't want to have to go back to their constituents and say, first of all, we've been doing nothing other than impeachment. Um, you sent me to Washington, I've gotten nothing done, et cetera. But also that this is, you know, this too broad of a thing and, you know, a waste of time for Democrats to be dealing with. I think what's interesting is, of course, Pelosi has had such a united front here with all the chairmen, Adam Schiff and Jerry Nadler, who really are standing by the fact that this is, of course, a seldom day in Washington. And this abuse of power left them no choice but to start impeachment. And then the way that Trump has handled impeachment is another article of impeachment here that they can use. It seems by all accounts that President Trump will be impeached in the House. I mean, the Democrats have a majority. It seems like it's going to happen along party lines. And then it's going to go into a Senate trial in January where the Republicans control the Senate and he has a ton of allies there. And for them to really get a two thirds vote to remove him for office really seems like a hill that it will not be climbed. Leader McConnell has already indicated that this will be kind of a quick vote end of the show once they get back. A few weeks ago, McConnell put out the Senate schedule and January did not have any legislative um, information on it. And so that was an (laughs) indicator that he's expecting this to happen right after the new year. He wants it to be quick. He even floated the idea today of this 10-day minimum to get through the talks. And so he wants to, by the end of January, February, really get back to work in the Senate. As you mentioned, Trump has the votes in his favor in the Senate. Of course, the Republicans are in the majority there. And according to kind of preliminary whip counts in the Senate, McConnell does have the votes to not formally impeach the president here. Now, I've also been hearing that the president and maybe his legal team seems to want to get more involved when the trial goes to the Senate. They want to call witnesses. I know they've been dying to talk to Adam Schiff. They want to nail down things with the whistleblower. But I've also been hearing that Mitch McConnell probably has a slightly different idea. So there might be a little bit of combativeness between them on that front. There's been interesting kind of divide between how the two McConnell and Trump are handling impeachment here. McConnell, of course, first of all, said that this will not happen in before the new year, which, of course, is great news for reporters here in Washington. But he also (laughs) has said that this should not be something that should go on and have additional people from the White House come up and kind of waste time here. He'd rather move swiftly. But we're seeing kind of the opposite in the House right now. Republican congressmen have called for a minority hearing on impeachment as a procedural measure and claiming that this is something that they should be allowed to do. And so it seems like there's this divide of how Trump and the House Republicans want this to go on in the sense that the White House would get more of a voice through this. Adam Schiff would testify, as you mentioned, whereas McConnell does not want to have that kind of hoopla about this. And and he just wants to get it over with, it seems. Alice Gangitano, reporter at The Hill. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks. Good to chat with you.
We choose our word of the year based on data. It is all data-driven. It is determined by what words are frequently looked up by users at merriamwebster.com. Joining us now is Emily Brewster, Senior Editor and Lexicographer at Merriam Webster. Thanks for joining us, Emily. Thanks for having me. I love this time of the year when we get top lists of the year, but one of my favorite things is always the word of the year. And this year, Merriam-Webster has designated they, T-H-E-Y, as the word of the year. Emily, tell us why. We choose our word of the year based on data. It is all data-driven. It is determined by what words are frequently looked up by users at merriamwebster.com. And they was looked up 313% more in 2019 than it had been looked up in 2018. And it also had a number of significant spikes in lookups over the course of the year. Every time people go to the Merriam-Webster site to look up new words, it often coincides with news items, something going viral, maybe a story, you know, and it has a word in there that people really don't recognize. So they need to know what the meaning of it is. They is such a simple word that we've used for so long now. Give us the context behind this word and why it made the list. They is one of the most common words in the English language. It's a pronoun that we use all the time. Most of the time, we use it to refer to more than one person or more than one thing. I saw them there, the books, they are on the table. But in recent years, they has expanded in its use. And we recently, in September actually, entered a new sense of the word they, with the meaning used to refer to a single person whose gender identity is non-binary. Now, the spikes that we measured that made us determine that this would be our word of the year, we only looked at the spikes before that September announcement because that created buzz in and of itself. And it's clear from our data that people are turning to the dictionary to, in all likelihood, really look at this particular use of they, whether they're hearing it and they want to know if it's fully established or not, or they are wondering exactly how to use it. The pronoun they typically refers to more than one person or thing. So this use where it's used to refer to one person, it can be counterintuitive to people. You guys have a bunch of other top words from the year. Let's run through some of those because some of them are pretty fun. And obviously a lot of them have to do with political items. As we mentioned, when something happens in the news and a word is awkward or we don't know what it is, people go look it up. Quid pro quo. A lot of people in the news media were having a hard time saying that, uh, you know, can you say that 10 times fast? It'd probably be pretty tough. But also people don't really know what that means. It's not a very commonly used term. It's a technical legal term, and it means something given or received for something else, but it's almost always used in legal contexts now. Another political one is impeach. That was uh, saw a 129% increase in lookups. That's right. And again, in the news, probably today, I actually didn't check to see if there were spikes, but I would suspect there were. And that word means to charge with a crime or misdemeanor, specifically to charge a public official before a competent tribunal with misconduct in office. So that word increased 129% over last year, and it had a number of significant spikes. Another word that was kind of fun is crawdad. Now, I like to eat these things. I usually just call them crawfish, but it means the same thing, right? Crawdad is a regional term. It's used mostly west of the Appalachians, but it refers exactly to the same thing as crawfish or crayfish. Do we know when that spike happened? Like, why were people looking up that word? That word spiked in March when the first-time novelist Delia Owens was interviewed on CBS Sunday Morning because her book, Where the Crawdad Sings, was at the top of the New York Times bestseller list. Okay. (laughs) An interesting word, clemency. This one spiked 9,900% in January. Why did this get a big spike? 
This word spiked because the governor of Tennessee had granted clemency to Centoya Brown, a woman who was convicted of murdering a man. That murder occurred when she was a 16-year-old victim of sex trafficking. And so clemency spiked in January when the governor of Tennessee granted her clemency. Here's another interesting one. Another very simple word, the, T-H-E. How much did this word spike and where did we see it spiking? Yes, also an unexpected word to see spike in lookups. One of the most common words in the English language, for sure, probably the most common to use the word the. It spiked 500% in August when the Ohio State University filed a trademark application for the word with the U.S. Patent Office. They wanted to protect their new branding logos that emphasize the word the in the name of the institution. One of these other words here I wanted to throw in there. Now, I can't, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right. Tergiversus. For tergiversation. Uh, tell yes. us about that word and why that one spiked. Tergiversation, which is quite a mouthful, sparked 39,000% in January. Now, that tells you that nobody is ever really looking up tergiversation, right? <laughs> exactly. If it's going to spike that much, it's because a word that people do not use or encounter very often. But the word was used by George Will in a Washington Post article. He used the word to reference Lindsey Graham's evasion of straightforward action or clear-cut statement, to quote the definition. Oh, that's funny. Uh, some of the other top words on the list were snitty, camp, and exculpate. I know that was big when uh, Robert Mueller released his report. So uh, it's just a fun look back at where these words end up spiking, why they spike. And, and then, yeah, now it lasts. we have the word of the year, they, for 2019. Emily Brewster, senior editor and lexicographer at Merriam-Webster. Thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thanks so much for having me. There is no question, of course, that this uh, uh, trade agreement is much better than NAFTA. But in terms of our work here, it is infinitely better than what was initially a pope, uh, proposed by the administration. Joining us now is Ian Culgren, reporter at Politico. Thanks for joining us, Ian. Thanks for having me on. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi on Tuesday announced an agreement on the modified North American Free Trade Agreement. The new NAFTA, they called it the United States-Mexico-Canada Agreement, the USMCA, handing the president a really big win at the same day that they were announcing articles of impeachment against him. Ian, tell us a little bit about this deal and how important it is. As you mentioned at the beginning, it's been a pretty dramatic day in Washington here so far. Moments after Democrats announced the articles of impeachment against the president, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi marched out and said there was a USMCA deal that they've been working on for the better part of two years now. The final linchpin in it was the support of Richard Trumka, who is the president of the AFL-CIO, the largest labor federation in the United States. A lot of unions have been worried about this deal with the Trump administration because they worried that it wasn't significantly different enough from NAFTA in terms of the labor protections that prevent jobs ultimately from going overseas. As of last night and this morning, they feel like they have reached a deal that won't get any better and sufficiently addresses their concerns. What are some of the big differences between the old NAFTA agreement and this new one? The big thing is this new trade deal is, in terms of tariffs and in terms of goods, is not that different than the original NAFTA was. 
the big sticking point right near the end for quite a while had been the labor protections. The U.S. had insisted that Mexico adopt labor laws that were similar to the United States as a way to prevent companies from outsourcing jobs to Mexico. And after a lot of wrangling, they reached an agreement to inspect Mexican companies that they felt could be a problem in following the agreement and enforcing it. I should caution that we have not seen the text of the agreement yet. So it's a little bit difficult to say this very moment what it actually does. And we have sort of seen some spin from both sides in terms of the Democrats and Chairman Richard Neal alluding to the fact that labor has stronger labor inspections. And then the Mexicans saying that there won't be U.S. inspectors in their country. So it's a little bit difficult to say what it does exactly at this time. But it certainly is a big political victory for the president. And it will be very interesting to see in the next few weeks and months how each side tries to take credit for this deal in getting it done. What kind of timeline are we looking at for this to be voted on? I think people are saying they want this to be the last vote that House members take after the impeachment vote. That way, that's that's not the last bad taste in people's mouth. Nancy Pelosi has said for some time that she doesn't want impeachment to be the last thing that her members vote on before they go home and before they conclude 2019 and then start the election year off. It's likely that this is going to be voted on a few days before Christmas after impeachment is voted on. So we're looking around, you know, sometime in the next couple of weeks, this is probably going to come up. And surely they would not be bringing it up in this way if Pelosi was not sure that she had the support to get it done. And as we mentioned at the beginning, I mean, one of the other sticking points was the endorsement of the AFL-CIO, the President Richard Trumka, his support was going to be crucial for a lot of other Democrats to really get on board with this. How important is him coming on board with this? It's hard to overstate how instrumental his support was in this deal. To give you an idea, it's a really rare measure of support for the AFL-CIO to endorse a trade deal. In fact, the Labor Federation has not done so since 2001. So you can see the tall mountain that it is for them to get on board because they're always kind of worried about these same types of concerns with jobs being shipped to other countries. So up until last night, it was assumed that the best that could happen was that Richard Trumka would stay neutral on this deal. And he came out and actually supported it today, which is kind of a miraculous deal for you have labor that had been reticent on board with not only moderate Democrats in the House, but also the president. I don't think we've seen another time in Trump's presidency where all three legs of this stool have been balanced like this. And it'll be interesting to see whether that lasts long term. And it will be interesting to see how the narrative is spun going into 2020. Ian Culgren, reporter at Politico. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright 
and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.